Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to slip your hands up. We are continuing our study through that. It has been a fun study. We, we changed kind of directions in this next section of Scripture where we've been talking about order inside the greater body of the church. We've spent the last couple weeks working through the beginning of chapter 12. There's a lot of stuff that we have to unpack that I don't have time to dig into today, so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that if you're missing a couple important things. Is One is we realize that chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians have everything to do with the Spirit of God, not the spiritual gifts that we say. In fact, spiritual and gifts doesn't show up in the original manuscripts of the Scriptures together. That's a word that we've added to make sense of it. And as we're looking at what it means to be gifted by the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit of God and how they play out in the church, we've been challenging and pushing on everyone to to just surrender themselves entirely to the Spirit of God, to just let yourself be faithful to submit to what God has for you and allow Him to manifest Himself through the Spirit's work through you and in you for the glory of Jesus, to build up the kingdom of Jesus and to continue the work of Jesus Christ himself. And that's where we've been. And really, one of the reasons why I'm really excited about this section specifically is because we're going to spend the next two chapters talking kind of in and out about this idea of manifestations of the Spirit and what it takes from us. But really, this section kind of cuts at the core of something that all of us really, really struggle with. It cuts kind of cuts to the core of the fact that we live in an individualistic society. We live in a society that tells you you are weak if you can't do it on your own. We live in a society where every single one of us strives to create our own little kingdoms and our own little safe havens and our own little places where we can be our self-sufficient, self-reliant self and not in any way be needy to anyone. Maybe this is just more of a man thing, but I think both women and men struggle with this. But this idea that we have to be able to meet every need for ourselves. And you think about it, even when it comes to the finances and the resources in our house, like every single one of us has to have a truck because we can't, I mean, heaven forbid we ever borrow someone's truck. We need to have everything ourselves because, again, I mean, we might as well, everyone, men, we're great at this. We need every tool, even though every person around us has every tool. Because how dare we ask to use a saw that you use three times a year once? This idea that we continue to perpetuate and live The culture around us has has saturated us, has pushed on us on the value of just doing it ourselves. If you're struggling emotionally, oh man, don't ask for help. Just have more faith. If you need encouragement, well, well, just stop looking for encouragement. Stop being so needy. Stop needing other people. And this is what culture continues to tell us over and over and over again. You know, if you want to look at kind of the church as a whole, when you look at scriptures, we see a lot of the errors in the church as a whole, but, but kind, of the, the, kind of the first starting point where we really get to understanding how the church is going to operate once Christ has resurrected from dead and, and ascended into heaven, you can look at Acts, and you can see how the church operates and works in that setting. You can see how the church continues to move, and, and that's a, a way where we can try and model ourselves. Well, one of the things that this church does at the very beginning is so contrary to us today that most of us couldn't even, 
Couldn't even fathom trying this. Let me just read one section for you. Acts 4, 32 through 35. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now, that right there would be amazing if we could just get that in any church, right? And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Now, now hear this, please. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So as I read this text, I figured we'd go ahead and take an offering, right? I'm just kidding, guys. We're not going to do that. Sorry. There's not a single person in the church in Acts 4, at least, that has a need. Why? Because instead of being self-reliant, they relied on each other. They relied entirely on each other so that the needs could be met. Now, how many of those people were sitting there going, no, 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 don't give me my food. I can't believe you did this. When someone's like, dude, I already sold the land. The land's not mine. I brought it before here. That is such a contrary line of thinking for us today. The idea that what is ours is ours, right? We, we are putting up our nest egg. I'm not, this is not a sermon about money, I promise. We'll turn the corner in a second. But it's really easy to get us all to squirm a little bit when we talk about money. We're spending all our energy, time, and life putting aside money so that we can have some kind of short assemblance of retirement at the end of our life when the Scriptures teach something completely different. Our, it's not, look, work, make money. It's great. In fact, one of the gifts that are laid out in Scripture are talking about those who make money and that they're to give it generously. In Romans 12, we see that. It's not, it's not a matter of not doing those things. It's, it's recognizing that the very thing that you give yourself to and that you do as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook at this moment. But if you've submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then Everything you have, your time, your money, your gifts, your talents, your skills, your profession, your families, everything you have is meant to be used for the glory of God and building up for the common good of his church. We should be way more giving with all things. This individualistic society that we live in that that was present in, in the church in Corinth that's going to probably be present until Jesus comes back again, is contrary to what the gospel and the scriptures teach. If we don't hammer that in, this entire text is kind of pointless for us to read through. If we don't settle on the fact that like you right now sitting in here, if this is your church, you are uniquely knit and tied together to the other believers in this church, whether you like them or not. If we don't see that, guys, this is just kind of a pointless text. The last two weeks, we've talked about how the Spirit is going to manifest himself as he purposes. He's going to show himself as he purposes. He's going to bring about power in numbers of ways through encouraging and serving and and miraculous signs and healings. And we know that God is moving and active and doing that. And he has graciously said, I'm going to do this through my children, through you. So submit, submit yourself to the work of the Spirit of God. And then he comes into here and he gives us really long kind of circular conversation that talks about why this is so important. So let's go ahead and read in verse 12, starting in chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all are the members of the body, though many 
are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We'll pause real quickly right here. A couple things that he's doing, that's one that's super subversive. There was a, this body analogy is not something that was, that was new to, to the Apostle Paul in writing this. This body analogy was something that was used on a regular basis for, uh, as a metaphor for the human body. It was a way to talk about social or political or, or um, the cosmos being of a single body in this day. But the head of this body was the emperor Caesar. And that the, the entire point of every single individual that was a part of this body was to continue to show that they played a part in building up the mighty empire of Rome. This is the way that this analogy was used. This metaphor was used on a regular basis in Corinth in this time. And the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, takes this metaphor and just hijacks it and repurposes it says, no, 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 you don't understand. You are, you are of one body. You are all together. And this is not new. He's already written this a bunch of times in the letter. You are many members of one body. And the head that we see all over the New Testament, the head is Christ. And like we talked about earlier in Corinthians, the head means authority. Our authority is Christ, and we are his body as the church. And so he, he lays this out. The second thing he says, he goes into this idea that we were baptized into one spirit, or, or for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. This is a text that many will use talking about some kind of form of a second baptism, like you have the water baptism, and then you have the spirit-filled baptism that we see that happens in Pentecost and Acts. Really, that is a pretty big misreading of this scripture. We see, we see all over in Scripture, specifically in Romans 8, 9, um, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you're in the Spirit if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. Okay, that doesn't answer much. But either way, he goes on and says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Yes, the Apostle Paul is not talking about water baptism here. What he's talking about is that the Spirit of God is going to indwell us. It's what all of the prophecies taught. It's why Jesus said it was better for him to leave so that he could send the helper. When we believe in Christ, we should expect two things. One is when we surrender our lives to him as Lord and Savior, we can expect that he will indwell us with the Holy Spirit. And out of an act of obedience, we are to be baptized, immersed in the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection, like Romans 6, 3 through 4 says. So he's not making a point that there has to be some kind of second baptism. This is really, you kind of just see that ultimately it's at the same time. Most believers should recognize that when you come to faith in Christ, um, the moment it occurs, conversion happens, the Spirit of God indwells you, you get baptized in obedience to show to the world and the people around you that you align yourselves with Christ. You submit to him. And that's where he's going here. Then he goes on, verse 14. Oh, actually, I should cover this. He says, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is really, really important. Um, Galatians 3.28 says something too. This kind of reminds us of the crucial need that every body of Christ, every body of every church, small c church, should be made up of many generations, many ethnic backgrounds, completely different socioeconomic levels. One of the, I think, the biggest mistakes and struggles that the church specifically in America has right now is we are so segregated. We have ethnic-specific churches. He's saying, no, 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 no. Like, you're all Jews or Greeks. To a Jew, that would be offensive. To a Greek, that's offensive. He says, no, no, no. To a slave or free, it doesn't matter. You are all one. 
There is no higher valued person in the body of Christ. You are all in one spirit. You are all baptized into one spirit. You are all the church of God. So when you or I try to find people that align with us, whether they meet our socioeconomic race or our socioeconomic level, or whether they meet the, the specific race that we want, or they have the specific lifestyle, we are creating more and more segregation in a body that was never meant it to be so. In the kingdom of God, all nations, all tongues, all tribes, so whether you have a billion dollars to your name or zero dollars to your name, you are equal in the body of Christ. Whether you come from no family or a lot of family, you are equal in the body of Christ. Whether your skin color is different or the same, you are equal in the body of Christ. The scriptures teach that everywhere. It's sad to me that in Corinth, this is still happening. And thousands of years later, in a church where we have all the scriptures that speak this, we still perpetuate the same thing. This is not where this scripture is going entirely, but it is a very big point. If you find yourself looking down on anyone because of a difference in socioeconomic status, in race, or in life stage, if you're in here, let me just pick on you, if you're in here and you're over the age of 16, you're like appalled by the way someone in their 20s looks or operates and this can't happen in the church. It, it cannot happen because we are not individuals. We are a body of one Christ, one head. He goes on. Now, this is where he gets into the analogy for the body. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Now, I just think this is kind of comical that he's saying the foot talks, but okay, sorry, go on. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, hear this right here, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, there would, be, there would the body be. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Not again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So this big analogy of bodies talking about the point of the fact that an eye and ear have a purpose. Look here, let me just say this really quickly because many people will try and see this analogy all the way through. Yes, you can live without parts of your body. God has allowed, and his grace has allowed medicine to do some amazing things. I am living right now without an appendix. People can make it without legs and without arms and all sorts of parts. You can go with half a lung. There are some parts that we can't do without, like the heart. It's hard to work without that one. The point isn't to be like, oh man, we can make it work without an arm. Like, like that's what we're, our goal is for. Like, let's just strive to see how far we can go without every part of our body. That's not the point. The point here is, is that, no, every single part has a purpose, and the parts are indispensable to one another, and they work together. And then he goes on to this idea of saying, look, the things that you can't see are actually more vital. I don't know if you've tried this, but have you tried living without a heart? 
You can't do it. But no one really sees the heart. People see what people do with their hands. Or what we heard people singing, we, we noticed the voices. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. That's a gift. But God spent a lot of time and a lot of energy putting skin and skeletons and all things to protect the most vital parts of our body. And this is what he's, he's laying before us. He's saying, look, what was happening in Corinth was just, it was kind of comical because what was happening is there was specifically around tongues and prophecy, which we're going to talk a lot about in chapter 14. Many people were doing this in a very gregarious, and look at me and how powerful I am. And they were looking down on people that couldn't do it. And so then there were people that were below them in their, in their status because they didn't have these gifts that were desiring so badly to want to have those gifts because they're like, if I don't have that gift, I'm not as valuable. And he's saying, no, no, no. You realize that the, even the gifts that happen in the body of Christ that no one sees are more valuable than even those. Think about it this way. Many people would say, okay, if we look at the church and we look at the way that gifts play out, we usually always look at kind of office or places to serve, which isn't necessarily the way it's supposed to be. But most people take a platform like this and say, okay, however it's doing up here, they're doing the most for the church. Yet there's, I don't know, 50 other people doing something today so that we can have this time. This is not more valuable than that. In fact, he says the things that you don't hear. I would argue that the people that are in the prayer room are more valuable than what I'm doing right now. The people that, that lead the gospel communities through the week and get in real community and deal with the hardship, that's more important than anything that's happening right now. You may never see it, but the effects of it are so far lasting and outreaching to what we can do in a moment for a few minutes on a stage. He's saying every part is, is valuable. Every part. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Many of you are like, man, I feel like in some ways I'm the colon. Well, you know what? It serves a purpose, Okay. Every part serves a purpose to building up the common good of, of the church. Here's, here's what happens is most people, and this is what was happening in Corinth, is they were seeing themselves as less than. They were saying, well, I'm just a hand, or I just, I just got encouragement. I mean, all I do is encourage people. Is that really that great as if the world could do with a little more encouragement, right? I just, I don't, I don't really feel like it. And so instead of letting the Spirit manifest himself through encouraging one another and seeing uncommon reactions to a very common thing, they, they, they remain silent because they're like, well, I really wanted to be the one that was singing. I wish I could sing like Bob. I don't have a purpose. Bob's up here singing. Instead of seeing the value, we literally let parts of the body die off. And yeah, we may be able to live without the appendix and without an appendage, and we may be able to live with modern medicine, but we're not thriving. We're not thriving the way that God had created us to thrive. As important and as prominent as some members are of the body, it is, it is possible to live without them. Have you ever thought about that? As important as our hands are, we can live without them. As seemingly as unimportant or unvalued or as unpaid attention to as our lungs, but you can't really do well without them. So he uses this whole body analogy to say, look, it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how great you view it. It doesn't matter how great someone else views it. It doesn't matter if you have it and you, your socioeconomic status or your ethnic background doesn't match the gift that the, the Holy Spirit wants to manifest himself. You just submit yourself to him and let him work. And watch what happens to the body of Christ when everything works together. You can use a sports ball analogy, right? If everyone's a quarterback, we get nowhere. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a function, every single one of you. If this is the church that God has you and you have a function, and if you're not doing anything or serving anything, then this 
small C body of, of God's church is limping along without a leg, without a half a lung, without part of its brain, with missing some of its eyesight, whatever role you play, we are, we are walking along broken and, and individualized, separated. And the body's not meant to be doing this because here's the problem is there's people that are dividing. And, and Christ is like, I'm only one head. You can't split me. There is only one of me. I will not be divided. In verse 18, we see kind of this secondary point. Again, I have, to, I have to get into it because I feel like, especially in this day and age, in the church in Corinth, they would meet in houses and gather, but pretty much the church in Corinth was the church in Corinth. You didn't have the Presbyterian church in Corinth and the Baptist church in Corinth and the, the Episcopalian church in Corinth and the non-denominational church in Corinth. You didn't have any of those. You just had the church of Corinth. And so it was really easy for everyone in Corinth to go, okay, well, here's our part. We play a part in this body. In today's date and age, we have lots of churches. And I honestly celebrate the fact that there are lots of churches because it's very valuable. But, but we're still one church. So let me just clear this up real quick. If you're trying to compete or see even this church or another church as more valuable, you show me in Scripture where it says competition among the churches, and I will totally submit to it. But this also brings up a huge point. This idea of jumping from church to church is just not biblical. And here's why. Look at what verse 18 says. It says, but as it is, meaning the way it is, that's what that means in Greek. It means as it is, okay? God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose so leaving a church because of style or preference or, or because you're just not comfortable or you don't like driving or whatever it is, that's not there. There are biblical reasons to move from one body to the next, but, but just be really, really careful because as it is, God has set you how he chose to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. So leaving a church should involve the leadership around you. It should be a healthy thing done in a unifying, non-divisive way. This is important for us to see because the more and more we just divide and do this, we, you don't know if you're leaving and you're taking a whole right leg with you out of the body that God has placed you in. You might be like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm being used. It's like, yeah, but you're our ears. We need, we need you here. God purposed it for you to be that here. If you run to another body, all of a sudden that body has three legs. God will give you reasons to move, and there's, that's, that's great, and God will do that things, but, but, but we should be way more prayerful, way more submitted to the Spirit of God, and we should involve community and leadership in, in both places, and, and, and it should be just saturated in prayer because the body of Christ is not divided. He goes on and says in verse 26, and this is another just huge point in this text, and I wish I had a lot more time to talk about it, but in verse 26, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And Romans 12, 15, 16, 15 and 16 says the same thing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Our individual joy or suffering should prove to be completely contagious in the body of Christ. When one is rejoicing, all should rejoice. When we see one person getting baptized, it should bring all of us to our, our hands and knees before the Lord, saying, thank you for salvation and one more person. We should be so excited and enamored with the joy in that. No one really wants to be the person that takes the joy out of someone else, but yet many of us do that. Have you ever noticed that? 
Like when someone does something, I, I see this a lot of times in my kids. My kids are great, and I'm sorry to use them all the time, but they're great. But I see this a lot of times in my kids. When we're celebrating one of them, the other one's like, well, what about me? What did I do? How did I do? It's like, hey, we always tell them, like, hey, you're doing great, but, but we can celebrate your sister. We can celebrate your brother in this moment because this is what they're doing. Would you join us in that celebration? Don't make it about yourself. But you know what's funny? As adults, we do the same thing. We just hide it better. We just hide it exceptionally better. We use sarcasm and cutting. When something good happens, when someone uses a gift up here, I'm going to pick on Bob because it's the first time that Bob's up here singing today. It's a gift he has. When he does this, we should rejoice that he has been used by the Spirit of God for the building up of the body. We shouldn't be like, well, I could have done it better. Why didn't God use me in this way? Why didn't anyone ask me? Yet many of us think this over and over again. And the same thing is true. It says when one suffers, all of us suffer. Guys, there are people suffering in this body. And what's sad to me is many of us have no idea for two reasons. One is because we're, we're unwilling to get into each other's lives. And two is because we're too prideful to let people in. When one person suffers, all suffer. When one marriage ends, it should draw an entire body to weeping. When infidelity happens, it should cause us to just, just, just be broken. When a, when a kid runs from faith or runs from their family or unsubmissive ways, it should, it should break all of our hearts. When one is sick, we should all be weeping with them. The only way this happens, the only way this happens is if we just put down our pride and say we are going to be in each other's lives. It happens through gospel communities, it happens through asking real questions, not in passing, like, hey, how are you doing? I don't want to hear just going, like, no, how are you doing? And when someone's just, like, vomits on you, it's not like, wow, that's really tough. I'll pray for you. See you later. It's like, no, let me enter into this with you. Let me walk with you through this pain. It hurts. It's exhausting. It, it causes more gray hairs in yourself. But it's what we're commanded to do because we are one body. Here's the thing. Most of you guys are probably stubborn in here. Like me, it's like, oh, I got this weird pain. And you'll let that pain fester for a long time. But every time you do that movement, you're like, oh, I just, I just noticed it. There it is in my shoulder again. A wise person would go like, hey, maybe you should get that looked at. But most of us are either too cheap, too lazy, or, or just too proud to go get help. But the reality is that's what happens in our body. When one person's suffering, someone's in pain, we should feel that. Oh, hang on, our, our, our eyes aren't doing well. Well, hold on a second. Like this is this is someone that like that has the gift of service in a, in a brilliant way, and every time they serve, the, the spirit does uncommon things through a common practice that 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 builds up for the common good of the body. This is hurting us. When they're hurting, we're hurting. We should suffer together. We should rejoice together. This means that we commit to pray for each other, to learn how to suffer and rejoice with people through thick and thin. This means at times, guys, you are going to have to be the one that chases down someone who's hurting. And at other times, you're going to be the one that's going to have to receive someone chasing you. We hurt together. We suffer together. We rejoice together. We are one body. This is why it's so painful for us to, to allow the culture of individualism seep into the church. Because then one person can be suffering all on their own. And everyone's like, oh, sucks to be you. Sorry. I don't have space for that. I'm not gifted in that, so I'm just going to let you run. No, it doesn't say that. He goes on in verse 27 through 31, he says this. He says, now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. He's basically lumping this all back together. He says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer to that would be, no, good job. Some of you are listening. Great. And then, do all work miracles? Do all possess 
gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? All of those questions is no. It'd be pointless. The, the first, second, and third isn't a valuing thing. It, it, most, most scholars think it's actually the, the chronological order. Like if you see Apostles' Day, they'd be kind of like church planters. And then and then you see teachers and kind of this is how the gifts work their way in chronologically. We're going to hopefully spend a little bit of time defining a lot of these for you guys, but that's going to come in a little bit. Really what he's saying is, look, every single one of these gifts, not everyone's going to have one. In fact, it would be, it would be foolish for everyone to have one because then we'd have one big eye or one big mouth or one big leg and nothing else. We should be celebrating the fact that every single one of us have different gifts and different roles to play. And we should be humble enough to, to allow the Spirit of God to use those for the building up of the body, not just for ourselves. You know what they call a part of the body that continues to take and take and take and take and take? They call it cancer. If you are a follower of Jesus and you continue to take and take and take and take, you're, you're literally, you're taking over parts of the body. That's, that's a cancer. So he goes on and says, look, the, the, the emphasis is on unity within diversity. He calls to question the idea that, like, should we, should we really be valuing one gift over the other? No, it, it, that would be pointless. It makes no sense at all to do that. We should see this across the board. I think one of the areas that we get in trouble, and we've talked about this with these lists, he, it's funny, even in this list with what he did earlier in chapter 12, there's a number of things that he had taken and done where some of them were a gift that was related to earlier. Some of them are spoken in other areas. Again, we just, we just believe that these lists aren't exhaustive. And here, here's why. Here's why. If you look at things like um, not laid out in any of the gifts, if you look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, I don't have the slide, just go back and read it. But he talks about how we are to do psalms through the Spirit. We sing to one another. So music all of a sudden is now a gift of the Spirit. It's a working, it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God. We see in Exodus 31, 1 through 5, that trade skills are done through the Spirit of God. So this means that whatever you do, whether it's a talent or skill, or it's a, a, a directly related, defined gift that God spoke through the Scriptures, all of them are meant to be used for the glory of God, for the common building up of the church. Everything. If you are just one of those adults that like has no problem getting down on your knees and looking face-to-face -to, -face to a kid and having a conversation, then get yourself in the classroom and start investing in them. Because I guarantee there's, there's adults in here that get down and kids turn around and run the other way. That's probably not where they should be, okay? If you just desire deeply to be somewhere else than where you are, that's fine. Pray for God to, to give you there, but don't be disobedient to where he has you and what he's wanting to use you through. Like Every single one of us have a role. Every single one of us. The fundamental concern of this text is that the gifts and or the people are demeaning what should be affirmed, while those that are over-exalting what should be put in check. Look, the, whether you see a manifestation of the Spirit in a less-than-normal way or in something that seems like you're just doing it normal and uncommon, it doesn't matter. Both are valuable and both play a part. I think about it this way. Maybe when we look at this text, I'm going to pick on my girls again. My two oldest girls, Ava and Libby, they're really close to in age. They're 20 months apart. And there was about a two-year period where I felt like probably almost every other day I was saying to Olivia, you need to be yourself. Stop trying to be Ava. You know, it's the younger sister wants so badly to be like her older sister. And it didn't help that Ava, like, she just kind of touches. She's one of those people that I think annoys a bunch of us, even though we should be rejoicing with them, where they're just talented in a lot of ways. You're like, man, how did they get good at everything? I'm like, okay at some things, you know? Like, and she just does things better, and she's older than, than Livy, and Livy would always wrestle with like, well, if Ava does it that way, I have to do it this way. Do you ever think about the end of the day, when we stand before the Lord, I don't think 
I'm going to stand before the Lord, and, and God's going to look at me and be like, you know what, Brent, I really wish you would have been a little bit more like Jonathan Sitka. Like, why couldn't you just done a little bit more like him? I really don't. Aside from basically saying, I wanted you to be more like Jesus, I think he would say, why aren't you more like the one I created you to be? And praise God, Olivia has matured, and she's found values and gifts and found things that she was better at than her sister, which probably helped that, right? But, but we aren't supposed to be chasing what someone else has. We're supposed to be submitting ourselves to the Spirit of God and letting him manifest himself through the body. And then we're to celebrate those differences. If someone is willing to give themselves to cleaning this facility, that is no less valuable than anything I'm doing or anyone else in this body. If someone is willing to walk with someone, I mean walk with someone through pain in, in their marriages or sin, just deep sin, that is no less valuable than Jonathan getting up in here and singing we all serve a purpose. We all have a point. We all have a place. And God is going to make us, we are going to give account to who God created us to be and how we submit to the Spirit of God in this. We don't need to be asking or being something else. My son, if you spend any time around him, he changes what he wants to be called every 30 seconds from Bumblebee to, to Captain America to Merida. I mean, he switches. He's confused. But he's three years old, so it's cute right now. It's funny, he'll get really upset when one of the other kids want to pretend to be something, like when it's Priscilla, I think she does it just to poke at him, right? He's like, I'm going to be Bumblebee. She's like, well, I am too, right? And he's like, there's only one Bumblebee, right? And his mind's blown, right? My son's more theologically correct than me because in the parenting, I'm like, you know what? There can be two Bumblebees today. Just end a fight, right? No, there isn't supposed to be, right? We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to say, okay, throw a fit. Throw a fit and just complain and grumble as much as you can to be like something else because someone else happens to be there when no, there's some other way you're supposed to be. Here's the most amazing thing to me, guys. I didn't think about this, but this is so, so elementary and so basic. When we grumble or upset or we argue about what gifts we do or don't have, our grumbling is to God. It's not to anyone else. If I'm upset about not having the manifestation of the Spirit of God somewhere else, I gotta take that up with God because it's Him that gives me the gifts. It's him that chose those gifts. It's him that put those in place in the body to be used for the common good. And we, we already talked about the Spirit of God decides to manifest himself how he decides to manifest himself. I don't own that. I don't possess those. We are possessed by the Holy Spirit, and he possesses the gifts and manifests them through his followers as we submit to him. As we should be excited and joyful to see the Spirit of God move in a lot of ways. Another lie, real quickly, and then we're going to end. Another lie is that when we, we feel like we don't have a gift, we, we accept unhealthy behavior. So hospitality is one of those gifts that, that's mentioned in the Scriptures. People are like, well, I just don't have the gift of hospitality. That does not give you permission to be a jerk. Okay, You can't be like, well, I'm, I'm just not an encouraging person, so I'm just going to discourage the snot out of you. That is not truth. We are commanded to be encouraging. We are commanded to be hospitable. There are some that will be encouraging, and uncommon things will happen when they encourage for the common good of the building of the body. But all of us are commanded to be encouraging or hospitable. So don't, don't be afraid to ask God to grow that in you. Don't be afraid. He even goes on, and we're going to talk about next week. He says, honestly, ask for these things. Don't be afraid to ask. Just in your asking, do not make the mistake to assume that you don't already have something that he's wanting to manifest. Because he does. Each one of you have been given a way to manifest it. Where are you passionate? Where are you excited? Where has God been blessing? Or where have you seen fruit in your life? And just run. Submit that. I asked you last week to call this out in each other. 
to say, hey, I see something in you and, and really go to the Lord through prayer. What would it look like for a body of believers to just submit themselves to the Holy Spirit? I can tell you what it kind of looks like. We saw a little, little model of that in the early part of Acts. And the world around saw the Jew and the, and the Greek and the slave and the free working together and valuing. And they, you know what they said? I want to be a part of that. I want, I want to be a part of it. How do, how do I become a part of this? What do I need to do to be a part of this? Because it's so beautiful and it's so powerful and it's so wonderful and no one has need. The band's going to come up and we're going to close in prayer in here just a second. Will you submit to the Holy Spirit to be used to see uncommon things done in the common world for the common good? I'm going to offer it again. Last week, we allowed people to be prayed for and many people got prayed for, which is awesome. We're going to do it again. If you'd like to be prayed for, there are elders and other safe people that will be back in the prayer room over there to pray for you. If the prayer is just simply like, man, I, I want to I do something. Like I said last week, a lot of times the, the beginning of doing is just submission. Just saying, God, what do you, you want to do in and through me? How do you want to use me for the common good? And if you are here today and you've seen people do things, you've seen the Spirit manifest himself through people, encourage that. You wouldn't see that if you didn't have the eyes of the Lord given to you to see it. Otherwise, you say, that's really neat that that person has that strength. And when it comes to the church, we need to be a lot less individualistic. We need to be so close and tied together that we, we smell each other's stinkiness and we, we rub each other and get frustrated with each other in the, in, the, in the proximity of us in life so that when we're rejoicing, we can actually rejoice we can weep, we can weep together. That's why it's always sad to me when I find out from someone that they've gone through some hardship, a, a miscarriage or something, and no one knew about it. It's always so sad to watch them have to tell people what happened so that people can try to rejoice with them or, or try to weep with them. We, we, we need to be more in each other's lives. And so if you are here today and you're like, man, I, I want to get prayer, but I'm too afraid to get prayed for, we have these cards there. You're welcome to put, fill those out, put those in the in the offering buckets on the wall. We pray for those every single week, the elders do. If you're, if you're here today and you're just like, man, I just need to get some prayer. I don't know what for. I don't know why, but, but, but something's stirring me. Go. Watch the Holy Spirit manifest himself. And at the end of the day, if you're here today and this is your body, this is where God has you, then he has you here for a purpose, not just for your comfort, not just for your liking, not just because it happens to, to fit in your schedule, but because he has a purpose for you to be used by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the church in a way that, that continues the mission and work that Jesus did while he walked on this earth. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your body. God, forgive us for devaluing elbows and, and armpits or, or the less, less desirable parts, God, recognizing that every single part is there for a purpose. I love that when we even look at our own physical bodies, there's still many things that science have no idea how they function, but yet you put them together. You knit every single part together of every single person in this room and you are good. And so Father, forgive us for not allowing your spirit to move through us. Forgive us for not submitting to his will and his purposes. God, forgive us for not being the body of Christ. God, I pray that we would submit to his authority. I pray that we would submit 
to his work. And God, I pray that your spirit would manifest himself in a mighty way through, through miraculous things, through, through uncommon things, through, through prayer and through teaching and through encouragement, and through service and through, through tongues and through prophecy. And however you want to do this, God, I pray that you'd do it. And at the end of the day, you'd get the glory for it. And people would go, I want to know and serve and submit to you and you alone, God. God, for the people that are here suffering alone, I pray that they would invite their fellow brothers and sisters into that suffering and you'd give us through your spirit the wisdom on how to walk with them, how to point them to truth, how to lovingly show them both truth and grace. God, for those that are rejoicing here, God, I pray that they would rejoice in a way that, that, that others would be invited into it and we wouldn't be cynical and we wouldn't be the person that goes, well, of course it happened to you, but instead we'd jump in and be so jacked about what you're doing, God. God, I pray that we would be a body that there is no need that isn't met because everything is for the common good. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.